Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Real Presence Live. I am Karen Solensky, along with Ed Konichka, and we are here at the University of Mary. Um, beautiful sunny morning out here, a little brisk, but welcome, Ed, and thank you for co-hosting with me today. You're welcome. Good morning, Karen. It's, um, we are gearing up out here at the University of Mary for the Vocations Jamboree that starts this afternoon, correct? This afternoon, yep, goes okay. till Thursday. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So we are going to begin this morning with a prayer, and Ed will lead us in prayer, and then we will get to our first guest. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you, too, for an opportunity to celebrate and look at vocations in the church. Uh, we ask you to bless our conversations this morning and to bless the events out at University of Mary around the vocation jamboree. We trust you, Lord. We praise you. Let your call be known in our lives and give us generosity to respond. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, we are um, geared up with a lot of great guests today. Mm -hmm. We thank you for helping us um, ask a few people. And so we have our first guest on the line. Um, today we are going to be visiting with Rhonda Gruenwald. Rhonda, are you there this morning? I am. Good morning. How Good are morning, you? Good morning, Rhonda. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So we... Um, if you want to just tell our listeners this morning, Rhonda, a little bit about yourself, as uh, um, we are anxious to visit with you about uh, your different um, adventures you've been on. Sure. So um, I grew up in a small middle-class family north of Houston, Texas, where I still live. Um, I had no faith whatsoever. Um, my dad didn't want the Bible read in the house, so it wasn't. My mom was Methodist. We went to church, church a handful of times. Um, they divorced when I was 12, and then I ended up graduating from the University of Texas in Austin before teaching English and coaching speech and debate at a lar large public high school. And at this time of life, I decided I needed to have God in my life. I went to the Methodist Church nearby and was baptized in the Methodist Church when I was 25 years old. The next year, I met David, my husband now 25 years, who was just Catholic enough to say, I can't get married over there. <laughs> and... Uh, so we get married in the church, we find a parish home that'll be our, our home for a long time, and then, and then we build a home as well, and now I'm pregnant with our daughter, Abby, and instead of coming into the church at the Easter Vigil, I gave birth that night, so that, that was interesting, you know, there'll be bonus <laughs> points later, um, and uh, then, if you've, uh, then we had a son as well, and fast forward to 2011. And we were, I was at a, a parish that had a brand-new baby priest. I mean, he had just been ordained a few months prior, and he asked if I would come to a meeting about priests and such up at church in three hours. And I, I was like, okay, I, we, I felt called by name to do that. So we went, and my husband and I went, and he was tasked with resurrecting the parish vocation committee. Uh, being a convert of 12 years at that point, I had no idea what he was talking about which is sad, I have to say. Um, but he said two things. This one of the most important things we could do at our parish, and every parish should be doing this. So you can imagine the shock that I experienced, that I didn't even know one of the most important things I should know. Um, but but um, I went home with that knowledge to my tr most trusted source I could think of to tell me how to do this at my parish, Google. But Google did not have the answers for me. Oh, dear. So we just started praying and promoting vocations, however we could at our parish. 
um, playing Pin the Mitre on the Bishop at the Parish Festival, starting, uh, you know, adoration for vocations, getting sisters and priests and seminarians all over our campus. And um, about 18 months into that, the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston leadership said, how can we do this all over Houston? And I said, maybe I could write a pamphlet so Google would have something for the next person. (laughs) So that pamphlet turned into Hundredfold, a guide to parish vocation ministry. And vocationministry.com was launched as well. And I thought I was done. I thought, Jesus, we're square. I did what you asked, right? You know, we're all good. But that was not the case. So I go to this vocation director's conference. Every diocese has a vocation director. I go to this conference, and the vocation director is like, can you come speak to our priests? Can you come train our parishioners on how to do this? And I looked at them like they're crazy. I'm like, I'm a convert. They're not going to, they've got to be rules against that. They're not going to let me do that, right? But they're like, no, you're the one. You need to do this. So we just started one foot in front of the other, giving workshops, diocesan wide workshops, hundreds, all the priests of the diocese, and then hundreds of parishioners. And um, we have now given 156 workshops in 50 different dioceses in North America since 2015. And also we added on all of our education, not education workshops and the book called The Harvest, the Guide to Vocation Ministry and Education. So we are trying to intersect wherever the faith is coming together with families, that's where we want to be. We want to have something for vocations, for uh, the laity to know, they, first of all, that they can make a difference. Uh, a lot of people hear about vocation crisis, but they don't know they can do anything about it. They don't know that they can create a culture of vocations at their, at their parish or in their school so that more young men and women can say yes. So that's what the, the overarching goal. We want to normalize discernment. We want to normalize that. We want to normalize where everyone is asking God, what is your will in my life? Because honestly, if that were happening on a daily basis, then I wouldn't be needed. Our seminaries would be full. Our convents would be full. And marriages would be holier. Wow. Amen. That's powerful. That's fantastic. So 156 workshops you're doing, that's about 20 a year if you started in 2015. Is that right? Yes. And and I started in October of 2015 with just a few workshops. So we've been, yes, extremely busy. We had 34 workshops last year. We have 54 on the books for this year. I know. And we're already booking into October of 2024. So it is... And the reason why, the reason why is it took a while for us to see what the fruit was going to be. We knew in our parish that there was fruit because within a year I had two girls come up to me who had encountered sisters at the parish. And they whispered to me, we're we're, uh, discerning religious life, you know. Like, uh, we, I didn't expect that that would happen at my own parish. But here I was blown away. The Holy Spirit was showing me fruit early on. Well, we saw fruit from our workshops, too. One of the first places I gave workshops was in Grand Island, Nebraska, which was shockingly not grand and not an island, which I did not know. Um, remember, I was, a con- I was a convert. I didn't travel much, so that was all news to me. Lots of cows there. But anyway, um, I gave workshops for a total of 60 people in this whole, whole diocese of about 35 parishes, around 45,000 Catholics, spread out over eight hours. I think you can relate to that, everybody being spread out. But anyway, yeah. so yes. we, um, they had one seminarian at the time and trained everybody on what to do and came back two and a half years later and they had nine seminarians. 
Wow, wow. that's fantastic. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. mentioned the fruit in your own parish uh, and the ability to see religious. Uh, can you speak about that for a minute? How did, how did you do that and what impact that had? Sure, yeah, and I know that not everybody has that um, ability, that accessibility to uh, religious, to priests, to, uh, you know, to other priests, to sisters. Um, being in a large archdiocese like that, we, we do have more access. Uh, there's seminaries only 10 minutes away from our parish. Mm. So we do have access, and I do think it matters. That, look, vocations come from an encounter with Jesus, and sometimes that happens through other people. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's that sister who comes in to the second grade classroom, and they've never seen a sister before, and that's all it takes to, to let the Holy Spirit have an opportunity to go, that could be you. And so I, I, I know that not everybody has that in-person ability, but then what we have technology now. There's no reason, reason we cannot, you know, Zoom people in, sisters and other priests and maybe seminarians who are studying far away into our, our school assembly and, and letting people see that, that joyful life lived out. Well, and how ironic that we're having the Vocations Jamboree out here because of all the different groups that will be here that will show the students. Um, and you can maybe elaborate a little bit more on that, Dad. Well, that's I was going to do that anyway. So thanks, Karen. Because yeah, I think it will weave in and out, like throughout our session today, talking about the Vocations Jamboree. So Rhonda, we'll have over 40 communities on campus today through Thursday. And uh, each community that comes gets a table in our main student center and our students can walk past and have conversations and the the goal is exactly what you're talking about we'll have uh, religious sisters we'll have brothers we'll have priests uh, we have nuns we have habited and non-habited the full spectrum and, and what we're trying to do is that same thing you're talking about creating this culture of vocations where each person asks you know what is my role what am i supposed to do uh how does god want to use me uh but that face-to-face contact is so critical and that's one of the beautiful things about this event is that there's such a representation here on campus for the next 48 hours of all the different ways you can serve God with a capital V, right? Your, your lifelong vocation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And why should we do that? Why should we care? But for anybody listening, why should we care about vocations in the first place? That, that, that spousal relationship within that big V, what God's calling you to, the spousal relationship either with Jesus, with the church, or a physical spouse, that's our pathway to sainthood. That is our sanctification in this life, and everybody has a vested interest in helping everyone find out what God is calling them to. Yeah, for sure, but also to normalize religious life. Not that it's normal, but you know what I mean. That, yeah. uh, you know, when I was young, I'm old now, but when I was young, a lot of people, if, if you were a discerning priesthood, people would say, well, why do you want to do that? Uh, instead of now we're saying, well, let me tell you why you might want to do that. Right, and so yeah. to it, to make it look attractive, to make it look, but the folks that are on campus, they're joyful. the The communities that come are full of joy and radiance, and uh, so our students get to see that and say, you know, actually, that looks like something I want, not something I want to run from. Exactly. Amen, mm-hmm. amen. And we've got the uh, the data to say that seventy five percent of the newly ordained year after year said they first heard the call between uh, before eighteen years of age, even. Hmm. So many, many of your students have heard the call, but it just doesn't, it is not answered, it's not come to fruition until maybe they are at St. Mary's at their, when they're in college and they encounter somebody and they start asking those big questions. 
Yep. And the interesting thing, too, um, attending the Vocations Jamboree last year for the first year for me last year at, at University of Mary, um, visiting with so many of the people, it, their stories are amazing. You know, just going back to their childhoods, some of them good, some of them not so good, some of them converts, some of them, you know, cradle Catholics. They um, are so inspiring, and you can just see the love of Jesus in their eyes and when they talk. So um, we are very blessed. We're actually very blessed here in the Bismarck Diocese. We are. Uh, and vocations, so one of the things, Rhonda, that we're doing, I think we'll get to your data and your, and your um, research after the break, maybe, mm -hmm. so we have time sure. to go into it. Uh, our, the vocation director for the Diocese of Bismarck is very present on campus. Uh, students know who he is. Uh, he works with men and women on campus. And one of the... Uh, conversations that are happening a lot now. Father Balk is our chaplain on campus too and they tell students all the time at some point this sermon has to turn into action. right? So a lot of people say well I'm thinking about the priesthood or I'm thinking about religious life uh, and sooner or later you have to actually do something. Uh, take a step and move instead of just thinking about getting out of your head and maybe going to seminary or maybe uh, doing a convent visit uh, uh, to start to take action to make it real in your life. Absolutely and God will Stop it if it shouldn't. Yes. That's what I say. I mean, so what is the harm? Take the action. Take take that step forward. And if God doesn't want it to happen, he will absolutely turn you around. Or he will close the door <laughs> in such a fashion that it cannot happen. So don't worry. Just completely surrender this discernment to God, and but don't make it perpetual. Yes, make it, give it a time frame that, you know, you're going to discern for a certain amount of time, and then you're going to take action to keep going further down that discernment. Absolutely. Yep. Well, we are going to take a quick break here. We are visiting with Rhonda Gruenwald, and she has some great information on the priestly vocation crisis in the U.S., so stick with us. You will want to hear that information. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I am Karen Selensky along with Ed Konichka, the Assistant Director of University Ministries at the University of Mary here in Bismarck, North Dakota. We are overlooking um, actually a lot of beautiful snow, which many of our listeners may not know that uh, Bismarck, North Dakota is uh, going for a record of 101.6 inches of snow. I'm fine if we don't break it, Karen. <laughs> we are at 92.6, so yes, many people want to, which is kind of sad, but you know, I think we're done snow blowing and all that We're at stuff. the point now where people are starting to take pictures and show each other their yards on their phones. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm good for a while. <laughs> so thank you for uh, joining us. We are visiting with uh, Rhonda Gruenwald, and um, we just had a wonderful conversation with her, which ties in well with the vocation. Jamboree here that's happening at the University of Mary that starts this evening. Lots of good stuff happening on the campus, Ed. Yes, great event. Yeah, so one of my tasks today will be to do all the airport runs. Oh. And so it's actually fun. I'll get to go to the airport and I'll be picking religious uh, oh, members and service organizations yeah. like Net Ministries, Focus, Totus Tuus groups, others are here as well to say, uh, just give your life away for the summer. Yeah. Right? Here's what you can do for the next four months uh, to step out uh, of your own comfort zone and to start to give. Yeah, awesome. Well, Rhonda, thank you for joining us today, and um, you've, you've given us a lot of great information so far, and we're just interested in, you worked on a report um, regarding the priestly vocation crisis in the U.S., so can you kind of give us um, an introduction to your study? Sure. So um, this all started with the fact that I told you my story, that I started working with vocation directors and 
traveling around the country, and I wanted to have more knowledge about what was going on the ground in each diocese. And so I would look up, you know, how many seminarians they have, how many seminarians did they have two years ago, how many ordinations they have, you know, um, how many active priests do they have, what about parishes, you know, and just trying to get a sense of what was happening. And um, then after, uh, in around January of 2022, we said we needed to to take this more seriously. We had heard from some bishops who were paying attention to our reports, and 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 it was catching some buzz. And we were like, okay, we need to like really dive into this and get some uh, statistical brains behind this because that's not my realm of expertise. Hmm. And to find out what is actually correlating with ordination. So um, to even get to, to the base of that, we had to get to the what is the minimum number of, of ordinations needed in this diocese to replace the current number of priests? So we have that number. We also have the number then of seminarians needed to ordain enough to replace the current number of priests. So this isn't to grow. This is just to, to maintain. And only 17 dioceses in the United States had enough seminarians to wow. maintain their current, current number of priests. And 30 uh, three dioceses had enough ordination to maintain their number of priests. So that means there there are some, there are very few that are actually maintaining, and some are growing. There are a few growing across the country, but the vast majority have been in, in an ordination drought, um, or it, we don't even have repla- the uh, retirement rate in there. We know a lot of priests, or re- baby boomer priests specifically, are coming up on retirement age. 67, that's the average age of a priest in the United States. Some dioceses, their average age is over 70. And so many of their, they're challenged with, do I retire? Because if I retire, they're going to close my parish. Like that's the kind of hard decisions that are having to be made in some areas in the United States. So uh, we wanted to report further on that and give people a sense of, A, what can be done? What can they do? Uh, we wanted to give them a sense of hope that we know that things are fairly dire. Those that, that what I've just told you is fairly dire. But what could bring hope to people? A, hopeful is that we, we put everybody in four tiers based on their Catholic population. So tier one has 750,000 Catholics or above. And then the other three are broken down, like the the, low, the smallest is 100,000 Catholics or below, right? That's tier four. And so we wanted to um, have apples to apples here. We didn't want um, the Archdiocese of New York being um, looked next to the Bismarck, right? That wouldn't be fair on a lot of different levels because the whole situation is totally different of what is life is like as a Catholic there. Um, so... When we did that, we found out that one of the correlating factors that was big on how many ordinations a diocese has is the number of parishioners that each active priest serves. That makes total sense that if a priest serves a lot of Catholics himself, that it would be hard for him to create that relationship to have more vocations blossom from there. Because a priest is the number one factor. Year after year, newly ordained say, uh, the 71%, about 70 to 75% say that a priest was the, the, the most encouraging factor of them going into the priesthood. Okay. That's, that's so very if interesting. That's, 
Yes, so if that's the case, and we know that we need priests encouraging others to walk down that discernment line, not always to the priesthood, but again, priesthood, consecrated life, sacramental marriage, right, to walk with their discerners, with their parishioners. It's hard to do that if if each priest has 12,000 Catholics, like in Brownsville, Texas. Hmm. Yes, I know. That's a very big number. In Galveston, Houston, it's 7,900 parishioners for each active priest. Um, So it's, and and even even in some smaller dioceses, the number is approaching 3,000 Catholics per priest. And so that is a really hard situation. Just think about how many people you know. Hmm. How many, how many relationships can you truly keep up? You know, can yep. can a priest do that when they have so many people and so much on them to do? So we we found that that if they if you have uh, in each diocese it looks different because the situation on the ground in each tier looks different. But if you're you can look at all this data at vocationministry.com. You can go see the report for free. It's forty pages. You can go download it for free. You can see the data behind the report for free at vocationministry.com. So go there to check all this out, to see the calculations, to see how we figured it out. But um, the the diocese is where the priest is, on average, maybe has 1,500 parishioners or below. You know, you have a, a much better probability of having relationships and more vocations happening. Your ordination number is higher. And the ones that have a higher number of parishioners for each act of priests, their ordination number is lower. So th- this is something we've known, like, anecdotally for a long time. That makes total sense. But now we have the numbers to prove it, to show people. Mm-hmm. So where is the crisis the worst? And, and then where are the bright areas? Can you share that with our listeners? Sure. Um, you know, the the hardest hit are definitely Tier 1, 750,000 Catholics and above, those dioceses that are serving the largest population. And that could be for such a variety of reasons. Um, in, in Galveston, Houston, we have a, a very interesting situation here with mega parishes. You know, the church I came into the church into was 10,000 families. Wow. 10,000 families with 15 deacons, four priests. You know, it's, it's, it's a very different situation, these large archdioceses. Now, I know that not everybody's like Galveston, Houston in, in, uh, Newark. They have, they're struggling a lot in Newark, and, but they have double the number of parishes that we have in Houston with the same amount of people. But they have, um, that, that is definitely evidence that they don't have enough priests. They're going to start looking at closing parishes, consolidating. That is, that is typical in the North and Northeast right now, is, is closing and managing that decline, but not even just in the Northeast. I mean, St. Louis, Detroit, um, they're they're going through that process the process of bringing down the number of parishes because they don't have enough priests. But as I just told you, if a priest has more Catholics, what happens? Fewer ordinations. So unfortunately, there's a they're they're closing parishes because they don't have enough priests. But what is happening because they're closing parishes? Their priests get more parishioners and they have fewer ordinations. So it's it's unfortunately a cycle that I don't think they're going to get out of unless they change that model somehow and alleviate the burden on the priest. 
<laughs> so the bright spots would be, I mean, Bismarck is, is definitely a bright spot, bright spot in all of this. Um, and Lincoln, Nebraska has been perpetually a, a bright spot. But there are bright spots all over the country. And um, I want to make sure that, um, that parishioners know, just that, that any laity listening to this, is that you can make a difference. First, you need to start praying for vocations. Start praying for men and women to generously say yes to God's call, not just vocations in this abstract way. Uh, pray that men and women say yes. Okay, and then we need to get to work. There is something, if you don't have a parish vocation committee or parish uh, vocation ministry at your parish, or if the vocation isn't a part of your everyday life at a school, you can make a difference. You can change that. You could start promoting vocations tomorrow. This is this is not rocket science, and all of it is at vocationministry.com. Well, you know, we've got, in Bismarck, we've got the Sarah Club. Right, I was just going right? to say the same thing. And so there's some really good people in yes. our diocese who are working really hard for yep. vocations. You know, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, uh, Rhonda, but I, I was going to laugh when you said, you know, you don't want to compare Tier 1 to Tier 4. You don't want to compare New York to Bismarck. And I was going to say, playfully, that wouldn't be fair to New York, right? <laughs> uh, yes, 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 I agree. Yeah. I agree, because they're really struggling. And, um, yes, the Sarah Club's been around from the 1930s and promoting yeah. vocations and and um, normally, uh, whenever we come into a diocese, they are helping to host this workshop um, and so that I can train people to, to get busy in their parishes promoting vocation. Sure. That's awesome, yeah. And we do have a very st- strong Sierra Club we here. Do. I mean, we are very blessed in North Dakota. You know, all the different areas that... Um, that do pray, and that, and and we've been blessed with with seminarians here as well. We have a, another good group coming up here. So, are right, any final thoughts, Rhonda, as we come to the end of the hour here that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I want to say that I, I'm so thankful that anybody cares about vocations. It's, it's, I feel like the, we've been ringing the bell for a long time that 2025 was coming, where a lot of priests are going to start um, start retiring. And so I'm so thankful that there are some eyes on this and that I think hearts will be changed and that God will provide because God is still calling each and every day. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your information that you shared with our listeners today. Great stuff. Ties in very well with our vocations jamboree today. So appreciate prayers out for you, for you and everything that you do. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Rhonda. So we are going to come up here to a quick break. Um, we have two more guests coming up with us, Colin Prom and Morgan Ellis. And um, we're excited to hear their stories. So stay with us. We will be right back. Mm-hmm. 